You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. You can join several of the hosts from the Master Photography Podcast Network at the third annual Create Photography Retreat. It's going to be in Las Vegas, March 28th to 30th. And if you've never been around hundreds of photographers that are just as passionate as you are about photography, you really, really need to join us and have that experience. The early bird pricing has ended, but you can get the ticket still at a very ridiculously low rate of just $417 by heading over to Create Photography Retreat. Dot com. We'd love to see you there. That's createphotographyretreat.com. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm the host of this episode, Jeff Harmon, and I am joined at the roundtable today by my good friend, Connor Hebbs. How are you, Connor? I'm doing really, really well, man. How are you doing? Oh, really good. Really good. I'm I'm so excited to go through this episode today. I, I'm, this, this is the kind of stuff that gets me going because I, I love yeah. teaching people about <laughs> photography and, and I'm excited about it. All right. So in today's episode, we're going to do kind of a little mini mentoring session. Um, not She didn't specifically ask for this, but a listener <laughs> and a Facebook group member, Susie Parrish, um, she, she posted something to our Facebook group, which is great. I'm, I'm so glad that Susie felt comfortable to do that, to post it there and ask for some help. So that, that's why we're doing this because she did ask for the feedback. We're, we're not trying to pick on Susie and uh, hopefully she doesn't, she's going to feel bad by any of the advice that we're going to go through because we want to do it to help. That's, that's where we're going to try to come from is, is that, yeah. but, but before we get into that, Connor, uh, you have an entire podcast that's really kind of dedicated to this topic. It's a, <laughs> it's a portrait that Susie wanted some help with. So take just yeah. a second. And for people who may not know, we get lots of new listeners all the time. Tell us about Portrait Session, kind of what the last season of Portrait Session was like and, and how, what people can expect if they subscribe to that podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Portrait Session talks about uh, portrait photography. Shocking. <laughs> so we're currently in the middle of a the second season since we've kind of revamped things. So we had a um, hundred and something episodes before we decided to move into a season style um, for our podcast. But our first season was all about kind of people that were interested in developing their portrait photography into a business. So we kind of broke down step by step all of the things that a person should do in order to get set up legitimately, get business coming in, and start making money with their portrait photography. Um, this second season, we're actually just interviewing different portrait photographers that have specialties and are kind of experts in their own little niche of portrait photography so that um, this season it's coming out a little bit more slowly because we're in the middle of our busy season um, but it is all these experts that are talking about the benefits and drawbacks of their particular niche that they're in um, all of the episodes that happened before that we kind of tried to pick different topics and we would just focus in on little bits of technical information about how to get better portraits and I feel like this episode here today is going to be a really great um, example of that type of talk. So it's not really what Portrait Session is anymore, but it's still of the spirit of Portrait Session. And as such, it's something that I'm really excited to talk with you about, man. Yeah. So there, it, there's a the whole bunch of back episodes people can go and check out and, and listen to um, that has kind of more of along the lines of what we're talking about. This is going to be yeah. super fast. It's not going to be, you know, session or episode after episode after episode about this. It's just going to be this one episode where we're, we're trying to help Susie out. Yeah. Um, but, but if, if, this is interesting to people. And if they're finding this valuable, definitely need to go subscribe to and listen to the Portrait Session podcast where Connor and Erica just really share a lot of super valuable information about portrait photography in particular. All right. So we're going to try to provide some helps for Susie that are like simple steps to improve yeah. portraits. And we're going to try to keep it simple. I, I have a tendency to dive into the technical. So, Connor, you need to help rein me in okay. <laughs> and make sure we That's keep fine. it simple. But I really want to do this episode because I actually haven't heard a whole lot of them do this 
exact thing here that that's going to be in this episode. There's there's personal mentoring, and I'm, I'm sure you've mentored lots of people in portrait yes. photography, um, or something like the Create Photography Retreat, where you know that's going to happen and coming up here in March, and so kind of another ad here. But seriously, when you're there. Everyone there is willing to help and and go through stuff just like we're going to talk about in this episode today. There's there's people there that are willing to offer suggestions and you're going to be put in situations where you're going to see things set up in a very professional way. There's going to be opportunities to do portrait photography. So if that's something you really want to learn, that is a really good way to get there. And, and so Susie, I don't know if that's possible for you, but you might really want to look into it because it probably will help you to move forward and progress on your journey a lot faster if you go there. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. <laughs> that's a good thing to do, but that's kind of the spirit of it too. We, we just want to kind of pretend like we're sitting there with Susie and she's saying, please help me. What do I do? And we're going to offer the advice. Even though she's not sitting here with us, we're going to go offer that advice. Plus, I, I can remember being in exactly the same spot as Susie. It wasn't very long ago. In fact, I still make a lot of these same kind of mistakes that, that uh, make my portraits not be what everything that they could be. And I wish that there was a resource like this that was out there. I, there's plenty of things that try to offer tips on how to take portraits, but it's difficult to say, see your own portrait and be able to understand how to apply those tips to your portrait. And so this kind of mentoring feel that we're going to apply here, hopefully is a good way you can go see the portrait and we can, we're going to talk about how do you take it instead of showing a professional portrait, which is kind of how most people approach this is they, they show you a phenomenal shot and then they say how they got it. Well, that doesn't help people who don't know how to set it all up. Yeah. They're learning and, and how to get there and like, okay, I see that awesome shot you took. I still don't understand how I can do that. So anyway, I, I hope the approach is one that that makes a difference to people and and is gonna gonna help them and we're not saying that you know Susie's done a terrible job here or anything she did ask for the help yeah and she's clearly frustrated so let me let me read what she wrote in the post just so everyone gets a sense for uh for where she's coming from she said please help what I'm doing wrong what am I doing wrong here I had my first family shoot with our best friends and my pictures didn't come out so well many of my pictures come out this way regularly and I don't know what I'm doing wrong I'm so frustrated disappointed there's a screenshot of my camera settings attached to please look at the zoomed in image and then she says TIA thanks in advance so I think this is super common <laughs> Because <laughs> I felt exactly the same way. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. I I've listened to all this advice from all these people, and yet my portraits look like you know this this average thing that I had. And so, so I'm hoping we're going to be able to to get there today. Um, I'm going to offer kind of my input, the steps that I would suggest that Susie could take to to fill this in. But Connor, I want to make sure that you have, you know, jump in wherever you want to be yeah. able to, to offer advice since, you know, you are the pro here and I just do this as a hobby. So, so uh, let's, let's totally. go do that. You ready to, get to jump in and give her some advice? Oh, I, I'm, I'm ready. I have lots of ideas and things <laughs> to talk about. Okay. Here. So we need to set up what the portrait is here a little bit, and it's hard in audio to do that. So we will definitely put, and hopefully Susie's going to be fine with this. We're going to take a copy of our image from off of Facebook and go stick it in our show notes so that everyone can do it. It's it's inside the Facebook group, or I would just link it in Facebook, but you do have to be a member of the group to see it in the group. And we'd love to have you there. I mean, yeah. obviously there's value in getting there. You do have to answer a question to get into the group. We have to remind people of that all the time. Uh, I'm still having to deny people access to the group because they didn't answer the question, which is simple. It's name a host on the network. And so Connor will work and Jeff will work and you'll be right in. That's all it takes is just to put the name of a host in there. We want to make sure listeners are in there. We want to make sure we keep the spammers and, and the bots out of the group. So um, anyway, I would link just to that in the show notes. So I'm not like stealing her photo, but uh, because it's kind of restricted, we're, I, I'm hoping she's going to be okay. Uh, maybe I should go ask her before I post it, but uh, <laughs> just so that everyone can see it along with the show and, and be able to get the help. 
we're going to start off with the settings that she used. And I don't want to, it's not that I'm starting there because there's like this magic formula of settings yeah, um, it, that are going to work for every situation, but she was worried about it. She obviously did, was because she posted them a picture of her settings. She, she took a copy of the metadata out of Lightroom and, and posted those. So I'm going to, let, let's start going through those and we're going to kind of talk about the settings and, and maybe where, yeah, some things could have been done a little differently, but again, not not really the magic answer here. I yeah. also, we, I also, yeah, go ahead, Connor. I was going to say, before we get into that, can we also explain maybe what uh, the thing that I think she is most concerned about? And then on top of that, we will add additional helpful advice to make this an even yeah, yeah. more successful um, situation. So, so she actually posted a part of this family photo session. So it's a photo of this lovely couple kind of in front of a garden in front of a, I assume it's their house. And when she zooms in on the faces, so you see it's a full body portrait plus a bunch of extra room where you can see the house right. and everything behind them. Um, and when you zoom full in on their face, they're just not looking sharp in focus. It's looking a little bit grainy and off. So I think that her main concern is, okay, like what is happening here? Why is that happening? And I think that we should definitely be addressing that and that's where the settings, well, partially where the yeah, settings yeah. come in. It, it but plays also, a role. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's also talk about, okay, well, what other things could we have done to make this an, an even more successful portrait after we've taken care of the technical side of it? Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with the settings. And I, I'm going to list them in a, in a particular order because I have found it to be helpful to think of it in this order. Um, meaning at, it doesn't matter what I'm shooting. I think through how I'm approaching a shoot in the order of the settings that I'm going to talk through here. And I think it's because they're the most, it, it's, I don't know, it's just a helpful process to me. It doesn't mean you have to. I'm just suggesting that if you're starting out, this might be a good way to think through things and something that's easy to do. Like you could write down the order and then mentally go through it. And, and it's totally natural now. Like I, I don't specifically go through a checklist, but it is how I think about it. And and if you're just starting out or, or you're getting into exactly deciding your settings, then this is a good order to think through them. So Anyway, here here's the order I would do. First off is the lens you're going to use. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to decide, you know, you have a camera you're going to have to shoot with. So the very first decision is going to be what lens am I going to use? Now, for some, that's going to be simple because you may only have one <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> that, but then you're also going to be like, as you're developing your photography, deciding what lens next to buy. Um, kind of will matter based on what you're shooting and what your needs are and, and help you to get there. And the lenses have almost the most to do with image quality of any other piece of this. They're super, super important. I know I heard that a lot as I was learning a lot of this and I thought, ah, that's just, they're trying to get me to buy a $10,000 lens or a a (laughs) $2,000 lens. And no, it's actually true. It's very, very true. The kit lens that comes with cameras, they're just not great. And, and even if you are doing a lot of things really, really well, and you can get some decent images out of them, the lens, upgrading that lens to get a better, faster, sharper lens really improves the image quality tremendously. All right. So the lens that she's using is the Canon 24-70 f2.8L, which is a fantastic lens. Yes. Very high image quality, good sharpness. Uh, put on a Canon camera, it is phenomenal. Is it the lens that you would recommend for portrait photography? Um, it depends on the individual. Okay. I, I swear by my 24 to 70, that's almost exclusively what I shoot for portrait photography. So as far as a lens that works well for portrait photography, I think it's, it's absolutely within the realm of a lens that works well. One question that I had with this is whether or not it's the 24 to 70 F 28L version one or version two, Right. especially since we're, we're looking at potential sharpness issues here. I do know that while it is more affordable, the version one is uh, noticeably less sharp than uh-huh. the version two. Sure. And for the, for the price range, I would say for anybody that's going out and looking to buy a 24 to 70, this is not a critique of Susie at all, but anybody that's going out and looking for a 24 to 70, if you're weighing the options of the version one of Canon and maybe something else that's similarly priced, which is going to be a Tamron 24 uh-huh. to 70, um, I, I don't remember if it's the G1 or G2 that's closer in price range around there, but I would say either way, you're probably better off 
with the Tamron yep. versus the Canon when you're talking about the Canon 24 to 70 version one. The version two, I think it has a significant enough uh, increase in sharpness and quality that if you have the budget for it, it might be a seriously tempting consideration to make. I would say that um, in that instance, if it's the version two, then I see no reason that that should be the cause of the issues that we're having here. Right. Okay. And, and I like that suggestion for, for people who maybe don't have a 24 to 70 yet. Maybe they have a kit lens or 50 millimeter or something like that. Um, the, the Canon lenses are going to be more, are fairly expensive. And yes. like you said, the version one compared to like a Tamron G2, the price is probably pretty similar. And that Tamron's going to be sharper. It's going to have better quality yeah. than that original lens.H uh, not that you can't do great things with the the original the canon twenty four to seventy oh, two point eight l version one you can it, they're they're very very good lenses still um but that it is an important factor all right so lens that and the focal length of twenty four to seventy I agree I love shooting the twenty four to seventy especially on my crop sensor that is a mm-hmm. really I, I love the the focal length and the the options that it gives me it's it's wonderful I love that lens. Uh, okay, camera. So she, this this doesn't have a, a ton to do with it, I don't think, other than it's it's a Canon 5D Mark III, so that means we're full frame, which means yeah. you are going to have kind of some, some depth of field things to consider because it's going to have narrower depth of field than a, a crop sensor would, but a phenomenal camera, a very, very mm-hmm. good camera. This has like been the go-to for weddings for like eternity. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so this is very, very capable as a camera. So it's, many others could be too. There's, there's plenty from Nikon and Sony and Panasonic and, and there's a bunch that can be great as not, not as big a factor as a lot of other things could be, especially because this isn't night photography. You can tell from the photo it's, it's in the day, yeah. but she said it was at 4 PM that she took the shot. Um, all right. So that, that's just, it had to be a list of which camera she's using and that's going to come into play in the discussion in a second. Uh, mm-hmm. focal length. So she chose to shoot at 70 millimeters. Connor, what do you think about shooting at 70 millimeters for portraits? Um, I, I, so the question isn't necessarily, what do I think of shooting at 70 millimeters for portraits? Because I shoot at 70 millimeters for portraits all the time. Sure. I, I like the compression that it has. It's lovely. Something that, that does bring up questions for me is because it's a full body shot and is framed where they're pretty far away. Like you can see all of them. And as I said, a bit of the house or whatever that's behind them above them. Um, my question is, why are you shooting at 70 millimeters when you're trying to get a wide shot like that, unless you're really trying to force that compression that happens when you have longer focal lengths. The reason that this is a question, especially in terms of the issue that I think she's concerned with, the sharpness issue, is that the longer your focal length, the narrower your depth of field is going to be at whatever focus point that it is. So you could get a comparatively similar shot um, with a, say, maybe 50 millimeters or 40 millimeters, somewhere around there that's kind of the mid-range of what this lens um, lens's zoom factor has. And you would have a bit wider of a depth of field, which would give you a higher chance of success in getting a sharp photo from there. So that was one thing that I, I targeted in on as just maybe a potential... I, I, I think that when looking at this photo, we're, we're obviously going to hit all of these points as we go through, but I think that the sharpness... it could be any number of things that have gone wrong in this in the photo just based on the settings being a little bit off and that's one of the areas where I would say hmm why am I shooting at 70 millimeters when I'm trying to shoot a wide shot unless for some reason I absolutely need to for the sake of the compression that I get at 70 millimeters right so it and what I that's why I like to talk about the priority here picking the right lens and then once you have the right lens now you do need to decide what focal length I'm going to shoot at and yeah. so, so, um, in this case at seven, I love 72. I shoot at 70 a lot. Um, yeah. and it's because I am going after that narrow depth of field, especially I shoot a crop sensor. So I need all mm-hmm. the help I can get to get that narrow <laughs> depth of field. And it actually ends up being more like, uh, I don't know, a little like almost close to a hundred millimeters on my, 
um, on my Canon. Yeah. On a crop sensor. Anyway, uh, I I shoot there a lot, but I I don't, it's not like I am deliberately saying, Oh, well, I'm not going to shoot any other focal length. So as, as we're doing portrait shoots, I'll go anywhere in between that 24 to 70. And uh, it's really more gets towards like composition and where, how how am I standing? And, and if I'm looking at the photo and I think, well, the background's just not quite blurred enough. I may decide to deliberately go and choose to shoot at a more zoomed in focal length just so that I can try to get that, um, the, the depth of field to be narrower. Um, yeah. but, but it's, it's a good, a, a fairly good decision. I don't think it's the most important factor here, no, uh, but it's, so but it's a good thing to think through. And as if you need a checklist, as you're going through this, you're new enough to it that you you really have to think about all these things. That is something to consider and something that's going to play a role in that depth of field. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. All right. Next one is shutter speed. So she went with a shutter speed of one, one thousandth of a second. What do you think about yes. that setting, Connor? So one one thousandth of a second is perfectly fine. I, I see no reason why that is any better or worse than anything else that is going to be fast enough to freeze any motion that you might have. In this instance, it's a posed photo. So in that instance, I mean, one one thousandth of a second is perfectly fine, except by her going to one one thousandth of a second, she's had to both open up her aperture further and increase her ISO more. So my question is, why shoot at one one thousandth of a second when you have two people that are pretty much still, standing still in front of your camera? It seems like it might be just overkill in shutter speed. You're you're going really fast with your shutter speed, uh, much faster than you might need to. And as such, some of the other options, uh, some of the other settings have had to um, be adjusted to be able to increase the amount of light that's coming in in a way that I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily prioritize a shutter speed of one one thousandth of a second in a photo like this over those other things that I'm having to change. Yeah. 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 So my, my thought process, and this is, I, I actually, um, in my priority, I I had it wrong in the notes. My priority, I put aperture first as the thing I'm going to consider over shutter speed. So I'm going to fix that in the show notes right now (laughs) so that we don't, (laughs) we don't have the show notes wrong. Aperture would be the the one I'd, I do, but just to speak to shutter speed real quick, um, this is where that general rule of thumb, and it's only a rule of thumb. It is not a rule, and it's not going to be the same for everybody. But the rule of thumb would be: we don't. We want to make sure that motion blur as you're taking the photo is not going to be a problem for the sharpness. We want to make sure that that's not going to make it look soft. And so the the rule of thumb would be: don't go any slower on the shutter speed than your focal length. And that's, yeah. that's a starting point. You're going to have to figure out, and Connor, we've talked about in previous episodes for you, that's still too slow. Um, yes. you've, you've got to go faster than that because of the shooting technique that you use. You know, you need faster shutter speeds than that rule of thumb. I've been pretty successful with that rule of thumb. So, um, I've been able to make sure I'm stabilized. I do have to think about that. I have to make sure I'm, I have the stabilization. Uh, uh, you know, I'm shooting with a technique that's stabilized. I'm shooting with a stabilized lens. Those kinds of things all help, but that, yeah. that's kind of where we are. And she's well past that, like way faster than that at one one thousandth of a second. So that shouldn't be a problem in this photo to, to contribute to it being a sharpness issue. Um, yes. Which, but something, that, yeah, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, so something of note here is because this is a family shoot, you have children oh, who yeah. move around a lot and run. So I can understand the um, the desire to make sure that your shutter speed is fast enough to freeze the motion of the children. But I find for most instances, except for like high high speed shooting where you're jittering around and they're jittering around and um, for most instances if I'm anywhere around 1 250th of a second that's about as fast as I feel like I need to go with my shutter shutter speed to be able to capture most motion I'll go a bit faster if there's a lot of high-end motion Um, but but for most instances I think 1 250th of a second um, maybe a little bit more than that if you really want to be extra safe. Um, but that's, that's usually my benchmark of, okay, people are moving stuff is happening. I want to make sure to freeze any motion that's happening reasonably. Well, I'm shooting for one two fiftieth of a second and anything more than that is maybe a bit overkill. Sure. And and then the other factor would be, if you do want to add flash, you can't get up unless you have high speed sync, you can't get up to one, one thousandth of a second and have that work well. So you, you being around one, two hundredth, one, two fiftieth, that's usually around the max flat, uh, sync speed for most cameras. 
And so it's just another consideration. She didn't use flash in the portrait. At least it doesn't look like she didn't, and she didn't say she did. So, um, so that's why it works at one one thousandth. But you could take it down. Okay, so back to aperture, which should have yes. been higher priority <laughs> in the consideration. <laughs> She's shooting at f two point eight, which um, again on crop sensor. As I'm doing portraits, I I want to go there like immediately because I I'm already challenged with being a crop sensor and trying to get good bokeh and and separating the subjects that I'm shooting from the background. And so I I immediately jump to 2.8. What do you think about 2.8 here in this situation and and what you see in the photo? It, especially looking for the situation, I I think that there's nothing wrong with shooting f2.8. I think for this particular situation where the subjects are relatively close to the thing that's in the background. So you're not really trying to blow out the background with beautiful, creamy bokeh behind them. Um, and you have m- multiple people that you're trying to keep in focus. I would say that F2.8 is probably just a bit too shallow, if not way too shallow, depending on the camera. I think that this, in my mind, might be the biggest perpetrator that is causing this um, kind of lack of focus that we're seeing, or lack of sharpness that we're seeing in in the image, is the fact that she was shooting at f2.8 when it's a couple, and there's nothing in the background that's that really is warranting the f2.8. You're not blowing out the background in nice, creamy creamy blur or anything like that. So that's one, that's the thing that really caught my attention here is shooting at F 2.8 when that's probably not the right aperture to have for a couple. Okay. All right. So, and we're going to talk a little bit more about depth of field in just a second. The last setting was ISO 320. And this, I I assume she got there just because she, she dialed in, she had the focal length at 70, the aperture 2.8 that she set the shutter speed and then it was underexposed. So she was adding ISO just to make it so that she got to the the middle on the exposure. And, and on a, on a 5D Mark III, ISO 320 is no big deal. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that is no problem at all. Uh, you're not, you're not dramatically impacting the dynamic range. You're not adding a lot of noise. It's, it's going to be just fine. So I don't see that necessarily as a problem. None of the settings itself would, were a problem here. I don't think. Do you, do you think there were any problems with the settings? No, no. I, I think it's, it's more, I, I mean, obviously the image is balanced quite well and, it, it it's just the fact that you're having other issues that are coming up and it's caused by these. But if I were shooting in a field somewhere and the settings called for me shooting at 70 millimeters at F 2.8 at one, 1000 of a second. And I happen to have bumped it up to 320. I would be fine with that. I yeah, wouldn't give yeah. it a second thought. And so, yeah, in that instance, no, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with any of those settings as like, red flags that oh man you're doing something significantly wrong and in that instance i would say okay obviously there's a certain level of technical skill here she said that she's shooting manual so she's dialed this in on her own and it it makes sense like um you're you're not wrong except for the areas where you could have done things differently and had a better effect okay perfect so let's let's go and try to address now all right since the settings don't immediately say that this is a problem there's not pointing to like it it's not exactly Exactly the reason that you you may have some sharpness challenges with the faces. Let's try to tackle why there might be some sharpness problems. And so so let's talk about. So she did say she didn't say in the initial post, but in the comments she said she is doing focus and recompose. Yeah, and and by you know that's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's not you just have to understand how to use it correctly and what to do to make it so that you get focus where you want it. And um, so let's let's talk about depth of field first. Yes. Um, she shot at 70 millimeters. I want you to take a guess, Connor, just looking at the photo. How far do you think it might have been between mm. her and the people in the photo? What's the distance? With, with the crop that we have here at 70 millimeters, I would imagine that she's probably a good 15 feet away. Okay. All right. So you're going to guess 15 feet. All right. So what I'm doing is I'm going to use the photo pills app on my phone and I'm going to tell you, it's going to tell me the depth of field if she was 15 feet away. All right. So the, this is a cool thing about the photo pills app and they're not an advertiser of this episode or anything. It just happens to be a tool I use that I really like. So there's a pill in the photo pills app and they, that's kind of the terminology. They, there's lots of different features and functions in the app and each one is called a pill. That's just how they chose to do it. So there's a pill in the app that's called the depth of field calculator. 
And what you can do is you can put in all the factors that contribute to the depth of field. You choose your camera because that, that's a factor. You choose your focal length. That's a factor. You choose your, your aperture because that's a factor. And you choose your distance away from the subject, whatever you're focusing on. And then it can tell you what the depth of field is. So if I put in a Canon 5D Mark III, 70 millimeters, f2.8, and 15 feet, then the depth of field from a total depth of field is two, two feet, two feet, four inches, right. actually. All right. So, so that's the total depth of field. And what that means is from the focal focus point, whatever you focused on in at 15 feet away, one foot, one inch in front of that should be in acceptably sharp focus. And one foot, three inches behind that should be acceptably sharp with a focus point. So in in between those two, the focus points kind of in the middle in this case, it's not always when you're doing this calculation, but in this case, it's kind of in the middle of about a two foot span of, of space. And so as you're doing focus and recompose, that feels to me like yeah, you probably should, that shouldn't have all that shouldn't have caused the problem here either. Two feet is quite a lot of room to deal with, with focus and recompose. And she didn't say, but let's assume she's using like the center focus point. And so, so you put the center focus point on the eye and this is, would be another simple tip here. We want it on the eye and the closest eye in the photo whatever the closest eye is. So um, if you have a group of people, the closest eye is where you're going to want to focus. And uh, because it, it just has this impact as people look at it, I've, I've got a really good example I go through when I train on this because I have a, a shot where the nose is in focus instead of the eye. And it just immediately says this thing is blurry because the eye is not the sharpest. I mean, it's it's fairly sharp in that photo, but the nose being sharper makes immediately everyone's like, well, that shot's out of focus. <laughs> it's <laughs> totally obvious. And and you just can't have something besides the eye be the the sharpest thing. It, it affects our perception of sharpness. So and then the closest eye to you is, is the one that you pick. So. In this case, the photo is of two people looking at each other. They're on like the same plane. There's not one person in front of or behind another. They're yeah. they're right next to each other, the same distance away from the camera. And so picking an eye here, I would personally pick the woman's eye <laughs> because we I think we look at the woman first in a photo. That's human nature tends to do that. And as long as that human if that person's eye is in focus, then our brains say that the shot is in focus. So See, I would have gone with the, the guy. You would have? I, okay. I would have gone with the guy mainly because the woman has, uh, I don't think they're really considered bangs, but she has hair that's coming down that's okay, okay. really close to where her eye is. And the guy, I have, I have no fear of being able to hit relatively well my focus point on his eye where I might actually focus on her hair on accident. Okay. Super good point because, because factors like that play a role. And, and since you, you can choose either in this case, because you don't have one that's closer than the other, then sure that then you can think in your head and, and this shows kind of your experience, Connor, I didn't think of that. So that that's a good thing to think of as you're shooting is like, I want to make the job of the focus system as easy as possible. And I don't want to have the potential that that hair that's in front of the eye could get the focus point. And now the eye's not as in sharp a focus as it could have been. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect kind of tip there. That's, that's excellent to think through things that could, could throw off the focus system. All right. So, so two foot, two foot depth of field, Focus and recompose. Do you think, Connor, that two feet is so narrow that if you focused with the center point on the eye and then recomposed, that that's likely to have to explain the sharpness problem? I mean, I I don't imagine so. But then again, I'm thinking about the way that I focus and recompose, uh-huh. and I know that. Uh, so, so something to keep in mind with focus and recompose is that oftentimes we talk about focus as specifically a flat plane that we have from our cameras out and realistically it's more spherical shaped so when you recompose if you just drop if you move the camera's sensor forward or back in your recomposing you're going to actually change where that point of focus is just a little bit and and so focus and recompose technically one way or the other unless you're doing it absolutely perfect you're probably going to 
shift that point of focus just a bit. Uh-huh. Not so much that it should cause any real issues, but it's it's a possibility. In this instance, I just I don't think that if she focused on the eyes that that we would be seeing any kind of focus issues from that. Right. That that's exactly how I felt about it. When I was thinking through it, I was guessing ten feet as well, so we were on <laughs> we were both on the same wavelength there. Yeah. About ten feet. So um with a two foot depth of field that doesn't feel like that should have been a problem so my guess of why we ended up with a sharpness issue here it probably has to do with the micro focus adjustment that needs to be made with the focusing system you have a focusing system that's just a little bit off here and that happens in all dslrs it just is part of of how this works the focus system is in a different sensor at least when you're using the viewfinder to shoot it's in a different sensor than the actual imaging sensor and so they can be out of sync they can it's specific to the camera and the lens too so it's not like you can say, well, for this lens, you need to dial in a certain amount of, of micro adjustment on the focus. It's very specific to that lens on that camera. And you can do a process to go and adjust it. That's It's in the 5D Mark III and a bunch of other kinds of cameras support this thing called micro adjustment. Um, autofocus focus micro adjustments, kind of the gen, more generic term, but the cameras kind of have a specific term that's unique to them. But anyway, uh, if you want more information about that, and Susie, I suggest you go do this. Go over to phototacopodcast.com, search for AFMA, autofocus micro adjust, and I have a bunch of episodes where I go through this. There's one called AFMA Explain. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it, just so you don't have to worry about finding it in the show notes, if you go to phototacopodcast.com and search for AFMA, then you're going to find that. And and I think that is most likely what you have here, especially when you think of the comment she said that all of my photos seem to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I am struggling with this on all of my photos. I think you have a micro adjustment problem here. The focus system is just off a little bit. And yep. I can't tell uh, from the photo because Facebook just destroys photos enough. I can't tell <laughs> if it's front focusing or back focusing. The background is kind of blurred out. So I'm, I'm guessing it is front focusing, but I, it's hard to tell. I don't know which. If you look at the grass, you can almost see where that focal plane is. And it seems like it might just be slightly, slightly front focusing, just enough where you're having some issues here. It, it's really, it's a minor amount. And and to me, I think that there's there's a slim chance that maybe your focus and recompose technique isn't quite there. Sure. And that shooting at f2.8 with an improper focus and recompose, it's possible that that's the cause of the issue here. But... judging the other things that are happening with your photo with your settings it seems like you probably aren't struggling with that like it doesn't seem like that's the likely culprit so i would say be aware of the fact that when shooting with two people without a need to blow out the background that maybe an f2.8 isn't necessary and to just give yourself way more depth of field than you might possibly really need um but but I, I would say more than likely the conclusion that I came to as well was probably a micro adjustment issue. The other one that could have contributed um, was if you're not using back button focus, um, it's hard. Oh, yeah. It's hard to make sure mm-hmm. that you you hold down the shutter halfway and then recompose and push it the rest of the way to keep your focus locked in when you did the focus. So that's another benefit. And if you don't know what back button focus is, again, I have a photo taco episode about back button focus. And you can go kind of ext- do it. I, I shoot back button all the time. I don't do it any yeah. other way. Um, because I, I don't like having the act of pressing the shutter button affect my focus. <laughs> I, I want those two <laughs> things separated. I like having control over everything. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I, I'm a control freak with my photography stuff. Manual mode, you know, t- I don't do uh, ETTL with flash. All this stuff is because I want to be in charge of all the settings <laughs> and what's going on. And uh, so I, I really like separating the focus from the shutter and using back button focus. So that, that could be another part of the technique if you're not using back button focus maybe you didn't keep your finger down all the way or you know halfway on the shutter to keep that focus locked and then when you press the shutter it it actually kind of did a focus adjustment and that would cause another problem so along those lines it's something that i actually saw in the comments she said that wasn't the case but something that i would be paying attention to um if i was having an issue like this is the focusing mode that you're in sure i don't i don't remember the name of the different modes for non-canon brand canon or cameras but um 
if you are in AI servo mode, that is meant oh. for tracking motion. So if you are focusing in AI servo mode and using a front button focus, your, your shutter button focus, whatever you might call it, there's the potential for you to focus on the subject, have it sharpen focus, and then when you recompose, it will try and change the focus to where that focus point is now, and then everything will be Point, uh, pushed out of focus she said that she was in single shot so that's not the issue here right uh, but that would also be something that as somebody troubleshooting an issue like this that would be something i'd be paying attention to is what focus mode am i in is there a possibility that i accidentally tracked the focus as i recomposed right right okay so all good things there i'm still just guessing her problem is afma <laughs> she needs to go do that micro <laughs> adjustment and Susie, i'll bet things will get better if you do that okay so one, one final note about this before we we move on to other elements of it something else i want to point out is the fact that yes there is a focus issue here in in the image that you have i also think that you might be pixel peeping just a little oh, bit too yeah much. absolutely yes I, like <laughs> I, I i know that as photographers we want to have everything technically perfect and we want it to be sharp as possible but i know as a professional if this was the photo that i was most happy with or they were most happy with and they were thrilled i wouldn't be trying to talk them out of printing it sure. or anything like that i think that honestly because they're already kind of small in the frame i wouldn't be too worried about missing critical focus by a bit it's it's not like these people are wildly out of focus i can still see eyelashes i can't distinguish individual eyelashes there is a bit of a, a lack of focus here but i also don't think that you should necessarily be paying attention that closely that you're worrying about it i know in this in instance because you're saying all right this is a continuing issue i need to fix this that yeah there's there's something else there but i would say for this particular image i i was a little bit surprised to see this when it came up in the group just because I, to me, it's almost a non-issue. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, especially when you consider like Facebook destroyed the image, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so we've too, already so. lost a bunch of sharpness because this was posted on Facebook and it doesn't matter what, how you share it. You can't put it in a specific DPI or it won't matter what settings you use when you export it. Facebook is going to destroy your photo, period. It will happen every time. And, yes. uh, and so we've already lost a lot of sharpness. So it, it, it's really hard to, to really evaluate that through the Facebook group and share it. She's saying she's not happy with it, which is fine. You can be unhappy with it and you can want to improve. And it might really help if you go do the AFMA process and, and get that focused system really lined up and calibrated. Uh, yes. you, that might, might make you a lot happier. I know it did for me when I did that process. It was a, like, oh my gosh, I can actually get really good images. This is great. Uh, it it yes. really made a big difference to me. And so I totally get it why you'd want to improve. But as a deliverable to a client, I think you're spot on, Connor. I bet for most people, they'd be like, oh, what a great image. I love this. This is awesome. Yeah. Looks wonderful. Great moment. Like there's, there's not really any concerns to me from the technical side. If I were a client looking at this, I, I would be perfectly fine with it. Okay. So with that aside, hopefully that actually addresses most of Susie's stuff here. But yes. let's let's consider some of the other elements that are involved in this portrait. One of the things that you, you alluded to already that you talked about is, man, is there a lot of headspace in this photo. There's yes. a lot of space from the head up in the photo. Tons of it. If I was doing post-processing on this photo... I mean, I, I, it's better to do it in camera so that you get optical zooming in on the people and you'll get the full resolution of your camera to, to apply to that shot if you do it in camera. I would have cropped this for sure. I would definitely have taken out most of that headspace, which is in the photo. It looks like it's at least a third of the photo as I'm yeah. looking at it. Uh, it's just too much. Like We don't need that headspace. The subject of this photo, unless the subject is the windows, <laughs> and there are some <laughs> windows in the background of the photo, unless the subject is the windows, and those windows are like really important to this photo for some reason, then I would get rid of it. You just, it's not contributing. In fact, it's detracting. It's, it's distracting your eye from the photos, uh, yeah. from the, from the subject. And I would have gotten rid of it. So Connor, what, what would be your recommendation then? How, how to fix this in camera while you're shooting to make it so that you have a little bit better, uh, composition here. That is a bit more of a compelling image as, as a whole, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I agree with you entirely. The headspace, I mean, I can think of a few dozen photographers that are 
if they are listening to this, are like, oh, Connor in his headspace. I nail people about headspace all the time. <laughs> it's one of my biggest pet peeves in photos is I, I, I see nothing wrong with having a lot of space above a person's head in a photo if there's really a reason for it to be there. If you're in sort of some some sort of impressive landscape or you're yeah, trying to sure. um, give the connotation that they are being crushed under the weight of the world above them or something in like some artsy photo, like there are reasons for headspace. But if it doesn't help your story, you need to get rid of it. So the first thing that I would do, say, if we're, if we're, I'm I'm playing the hypothetical game here. I don't I haven't talked with her, so I don't know exactly the situation that they were in. But I also see that the plants that they're kind of in front of it, it looks like it's a garden of yep. some sort. Yep. So I would say, okay, maybe there's a sentimental value to this garden, to this location. There's a reason that we're shooting here versus somewhere else. And with that in mind, with the house being behind them, I would say a tighter crop would absolutely help. Uh, you can still have the garden, the grass, everything there. Uh, behind them and have those meaningful moment or meaningful things behind them without having all of that extra headspace, especially the the dark black of the windows yep. that you're it, my eyes just keep getting drawn to it because everything else is relatively light in tone when you're considering the background because it's a white house or white wall that's behind them you have these these black frames that just kind of the sharp contrast between the two of them is really eye-catching um, you also have these windows that are kind of coming out of their head a little bit yep. i would say yep. if it's possible the slats of the siding of the house wouldn't bother me nearly as much as if if you just had that behind them and the garden. It's the windows that are kind of directly behind their heads, sticking out of their heads, that would be something that I would definitely pay attention to. Um, another thing, if for some reason that you have to take it in that location, they specifically want it there, I would then maybe try get a lower perspective so that you then raise their heads up a little bit more into the realm of the windows and maybe frame them with the window so you have kind of a, a picture frame around them. And that would be kind of a creative way to use this space and improve the photo in that capacity. Perfect. Um, one One thing that I would say, if this is not specifically the location that they requested or if they didn't want those windows, the house, like if it's not, Oh, look at our cute little home that we're building together. If that's not the, the whole feeling that you're trying to put together, even you can still have the garden in there and just turn them. So they are a little bit more perpendicular instead of parallel to the house and shoot along the wall of the house. Then you have some leading lines from the siding that kind of point towards them. And then you have a bit more depth behind them that allows for more bokeh and background blur to happen behind them. And I think that that could be a really uh, a, a bit more of a compelling image than what we have here as far as the background goes. Um, Finally, the, the the last thing that I'm looking at in general is our pose. I I think that she is posed wonderfully. I think that their expression is great. You caught that at a wonderful moment. The one thing that's kind of killing me is the guy is very rigidly standing there <laughs> and his hand is just kind of at his side. You can still, it's hard to pose guys because you don't want them to be too curvy, too bendy. Um, otherwise it looks a little bit too feminine, but just having that extra hand have a job of some sort, whether it be, um, reaching up towards her, her wrist or putting his hand in his pocket, or even I will sometimes tell a guy to put their arm in their back pocket. It kind of throws their weight off in a different way that still looks masculine and good. And it, it's just not a distraction, even though guys don't walk around with their hand in their back pocket. <laughs> pocket ever right. it, it just it tends to look a little bit more flattering a little bit better it will get the arm a bit more away from him which will actually be flattering for his body shape as well and and so that's the last thing that i can think of off the top of my head just looking at this really quickly okay so i, I love the tips a lot of the same thoughts for me looking at the photo on the on the right hand side of the photo the the slats the siding on the house goes from floor to ceiling and I, I don't know what's to the right, but that would have been, I think, a better spot than in front of the window. 
Yeah. Um, and even if it went to a corner pretty soon, if you had the slats, like you said, Connor, the leading lines, if, if it went to a corner that, that could be really nice behind them as a background, especially because you're going to blur it. You're going to, you're going to use your depth of field to make it so that that is not really a, a big deal. You still want to make sure that it's like not poking out of their head. They don't want the, yeah. the corner poking out of their head. Try to, try to distract away from that or anything that's going to, going to lead from their head out. It's going to lead your eye away from the, from the models. So, um, so that would be great. Even just another, another thing I would have done if I was here, I would have had him step forward, like a step or two more away from the house. Yeah. Just, you can get better bokeh then you can, your depth of fields right there and, and just make it so the house is even less of a thing. And the plants too, the plants are, are still have a lot of detail in them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless, unless there is something super sentimental, that could be the case. And, you know, then, then you're fine. You got to get it in there. But if it's not, if it's not super sentimental, you're just trying to get a background that's kind of nice, then having them step a little bit further away and, um, and having them so that you can get the, the, the bokeh on those plants, I think would have, would have helped too. It's like yeah. one of the simpler things I one of the top tips I give to anybody, even if you're doing like portraits on a cell phone is have them step away, get, get step forward away from the background so that you get a little more separation from the background. And it, as, as long as that's what you're going for, if the background's important, then yeah, by all means get them so that there's more focus yeah, on the closer, background. Yeah. But, but if it's, if it's a photo, a portrait that you're trying to take and you want to draw attention to the people and not the background, then have them step away from the background a little bit, even on a cell phone, that's going to make a big difference and, and improve the portrait. Most definitely. Okay. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about was the lighting here. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, she, she took the picture. She said at four, well, her, the metadata said 4 PM. I don't know if the camera's clock is right though, but yeah. it, it looks like that's probably possible. That it's a 4 PM shot and probably overcast. I would guess just from the way I, the lighting I would is say either overcast or there's, there's a possibility that they're just in the shade in the of shade, the house sure. and that's okay. the reason that we're shooting here. Right. But I, I, I think that it's more likely that it's overcast cause I don't see reflections of bright skies in those yeah. windows that are behind them, right. which I would kind of expect to see if it weren't overcast, which is an ideal situation. I love it when it's overcast for my portraits. It's like oh, perfect. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> I have one less thing to worry about with, with my lighting and making it so I can get there. Um, and, and it's something that could be nice. Now I, I think she's done a great job and you could do it without adding any artificial lighting. You could do this. It, it, I would personally change the white balance a little bit to me. It's, it's a little bit on the cool side and I just, I, it's a personal thing there. So you're going to have to decide for yourself what you want, but I really like things that have a little bit more warmth to them. So I would, even if it was a, a overcast day, which is going to produce cooler images, I would personally go add a little bit more warmth to the photo. And, uh, and I'd probably add a little, a little vignette to the photo just to draw the eye's attention to the people as opposed to the stuff that's surrounding them. Not a ton, just a, a little tiny bit. Most people can't even tell that it's there, but it, your subconscious, your mind, uh, it helps to steer people towards the, uh, the, the subjects of the photo, which would be good. Yeah. What, do, what do you think, Connor? What do you think with lighting? I, I like the idea of the vignette. Um, Man, it, lighting in general, yeah, if, if this is indeed an overcast day, I would be running all over the place. Uh, and she may well have, because we don't have other other images from this session, and this was maybe just the one that was the best example of the issue she was having as far as sharpness. But um, I, I like the idea of the vignette. I think that especially for natural light work, um, I, I love using vignettes. To, yep. I, I'm not even quite so make sure it's really light. Um, I will go kind of heavy with a vignette. The one thing I will say is make sure that if you're going to go heavy with a vignette, that you feather it a lot. So you have a very gradual change. I've seen people that go heavy with a vignette and it's also kind of a stark line that you see from where it is in vignette versus not, um, where I will just feather it out. So really the, the, you don't see an edge at all of where it starts getting darker. Um, but I think that that can be a great way, especially in natural light to bring the eye into the center of focus. 
And with this kind of composition, with the headroom and everything that we have, um, or I mean, even if we were to change it where they were had less headroom, uh-huh. that's going to help out. You don't need to go in and specifically paint in a vignette or something like that in Photoshop because it's in a weird spot. Just your regular um, elliptical vignette would do a really great job at drawing the attention towards the center of, of that image. It, it would, but I even like it better. And it, it really kind of emulates adding artificial light when you do this, when you add the vignette. Yeah. It's it's like you put flash on the photo. I love using the radial filter to do it, so that oh, I so yeah. that I now radial have great I too. have complete control over where the vignette's going to happen instead of using the vignette stuff in Lightroom, where it's always going to be in the middle. You can't change it from going from the center, and so so I use a radial filter and I'll I'll put the filter. Actually, I, I'll put the filter so that it's like on their their bodies, like the center of it, and then I'll yeah. use a brush to brush off the filter on their faces and their head. And it just, it makes it look like you added artificial light. It is so, it's a very cool way to be able to do it in post-processing. I love that effect on on portraits. Now, this is all to people's taste. Like, <laughs> if you don't like that, don't do it. That's fine. But, but to me, it really, really helps. And um, and people really love it. The the stuff that I've done for my clients, they've, they've loved it when I have those kinds of uh, things done in post-processing. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Well, hopefully we have given Susie some good suggestions on things she could try to up her portrait game um, since she was asking for help there. Anything else we should talk about, Connor, before we close up the episode on this? No, I, I think that we've hit on a number of really good things here. One, I just want to reemphasize that we are giving this kind of advice because it was asked for. That's right. I don't want to <laughs> at all give off the opinion that I would look at this photo and tear it apart in any way, shape, or form if it weren't for somebody saying, hey, what could I have done better? Right. Um, I w- this, the photo is honestly quite nice. And it is. It's just something where it's like, okay, there are ways that we could have done things that would have been more effective. And I want to make sure that people don't get scared of posting things and asking for help yep. like these things are all coming from a positive um, and encouraging place of just oh yeah everybody can always improve um the two of us included yeah I, i'm sure if i posted some of mine we could say well i would do this or do that <laughs> to the photo and that's fine there's there's always room for improvement i i've said it before i don't want to be considered as someone who's arrived because then you're done and yeah. not getting better and i i think i can get better forever i hope i can i hope i'll be able to improve constantly and uh and, and get there so that that's great i have uh, yet to shoot anything that i didn't feel like i've done better <laughs> on so yeah right yeah I, I, yeah I i get questions sometimes like well do you ever have shots you don't like i I throw away at least a third of the stuff right off the top. Like vast majority. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole bunch. I'm just, just more like, comfortable oh, with yuck. the ratios now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm having a little bit higher percentage of keepers, but there's still tons that are, nope, that's just not going to work. There's nothing I can do with that. That was awful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's close out the show here. Doodads of the week. I'm going to start off here. Um, I'm going to recommend, I, I have a, a new computer. Uh, it's not for photography though, but I needed to connect it up to my, monitor and I love DisplayPort as a connection and this computer has a USB-C port on it. It's something for work. Anyway, um, I didn't have anything to connect USB-C up to my monitor so I bought a Cable Matters <coughs> sorry, Cable Matters USB-C to DisplayPort adapter. It's only 20 bucks. It's good up through 4K resolutions. It works phenomenally. It's perfect. It does exactly what I needed. I can now get my computer connected up to my monitor and through DisplayPort and it's beautiful. It's a good connection. It's a fairly inexpensive kind of product. Connor, what do you have? Dang. So mine is actually something that I put in there because it is a great affordable resource for anybody that wants to do micro adjustments to their camera. There are really fancy kits that work even no i don't even know if they work better but they are fantastic for calibrating um, the micro adjustments of your lenses what i have put in here is the uh, dslr kit lens focus calibration tool alignment ruler folding card (laughs) it's a two pack of um, essentially rulers that are on a slant so it helps you to focus and see where your you know each every each individual individual lens that you have focuses and you're able to do your micro adjustments and it costs a whopping 550 for a two pack i use these to calibrate my lenses in fact i did it just this last weekend um, just to make sure that everything on my cameras was uh 
focusing to the best of their abilities. I actually had a couple of small changes that I had to make in one of my cameras because of this. And it's at $5.50. It is more than affordable. I actually had a two pack. I gave one of them away and whoever it was that I gave it away to was like, are you sure? <laughs> is it okay? I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. Like these are, it's a piece of paper. It folds up, it pops up. It has little tabs that you put in and set it up just right. Um, but it is a fantastically affordable tool that you can use for finding your micro adjustments on your camera. Very good. I like it. It's a very inexpensive way to go do it. In my podcast episode over at Photo Taco, I talk about a completely free solution. Like there's no, you don't have to buy oh. anything. And I find it to be the most effective way to do it. Like time-wise, it is like the fastest way for me to do it. And I have found my cameras over time, they need to be recalibrated. It kind of makes sense. Your cameras, they get bumped around as they're in the cars, you're using them that you could kind of, I mean, we're talking about micro adjustments here. These are tiny, yes. tiny, tiny little adjustments. And so your camera bumping around, it could knock that out of sync. And so I, I do find, I, I do it every few months. I go and, and redo my calibration and it changes. So, um, so that I, I recommend it's something called spot, um, spot focus adjustments. And anyway, go over the podcast episode to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to close up the show here. Uh, we will remind you that master photography podcast is the new home of the show. And, uh, you're going to have to go there to check it out. You'll get the show notes there, which will have links to the stuff we've talked about here, the doodads in the picture. And, and, uh, if you want to see all of that, then you're going to want to go over there. The Facebook group we talked about, Master Photography Podcast. Go search that. Join it. Name uh, Connor or me, Jeff, as a host so you can get in. And uh, you can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or phototacopodcast.com. And Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff. Uh, Instagram, Harmon Jeff, if you want to see some of the stuff there. What about you, Connor? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on my website, which is connorhibbs.photography. Um, you can find the other podcast that I am a host on at portraitsessionpodcast.com or just subscribe to it. It's called the Portrait Session Podcast. There's a cool picture uh, for cover art on that. And you can find me on Instagram at connorhibbsphotography. Very good. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you liked it, Susie. We hope that helped. And I hope that it gives a lot of things for others to think about too. And uh, we will see you all again in another seven days. 